0: Today we're going to commence a series working through the prophecy of Nahum. So what we're going to do today is overview and then God willing in weeks to come we'll start at chapter 1 verse 1 and read through in smaller chunks so we can understand the detail because when we were reading chapter 1 it does get quite complicated there after the first few verses, it tends to sort of get a bit more complicated, so we can take it in smaller chunks and understand um, the detail, but before we understand the detail, it's better to understand the concepts as a whole and to see um, the, the overarching principles. A good way to understand any topic, not just Bible study, but any topic, is to ask questions. So that way you can generate answers. And there is a very uh, popular question technique known as the five W's. You're familiar with the five W's? Who, what, where, when and why. That will basically cover off pretty much everything that you need to know. You can add in a how as well, but, uh, um, but we'll work on the five W's. Today, using that method, we're going to focus on three of those points. Who, what and why. But we'll touch on the where and the when just to give us some helpful context. So the where is given to us in the very first line. The burden of Nineveh. So we're immediately told where we we are to sort of focus a little bit here. It's Nineveh. That was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. But when it refers to Nineveh, it's a bit like sometimes when um, Israel is referred to as Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the principal city, but it was not just exclusively Jerusalem that was covered. It was the wider uh, sort of nation. So we can take Nineveh to be a representative of Assyria. And this is our first sort of location, Nineveh or Assyria. And when was this written? If you um, read around these things, because we won't get it directly from here, but uh, one of the good things about the the history section of the Old Testament is it is history, and even outside of biblical scholarship, you will find historical scholarship telling you exactly when these events happened. So... um, we find that the the date range here is somewhere between 663 BC and 612 BC. Two important events there. In chapter 3, verse 8, we will read, um, Art thou better than populous? No. That's a place rather than a, 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 a negative answer. But it could also be translated as a place called Thebes, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, which is in Egypt, which was destroyed by Assyria in 663 BC. So he is saying to the Assyrians, are you better than this city that you destroyed in 663? History also tells us that Nineveh was destroyed in 612 BC. So we know that the prophecy talking about the destruction of Nineveh happened in, it is some sometime before 612 BC. So it happened somewhere between, or it was written somewhere between 663 BC and 612 BC. And interestingly, this is about 100 years or so, give or take, depending on when it was written, after Jonah, which is why we read that passage in Jonah, because it referred to the gospel being presented to Nineveh In uh, the time of Jonah and the people repenting. So this is about a hundred years after that. Don't be too hung up on exactly when, but that's an approximation. So the first question we ask then is who? To whom do we refer in Nahum? Who is covered in this book? Well, again, using the same point as before, the burden of Nineveh. So Nineveh is involved here, but this time rather than thinking of the geographical place, think of the people. So here the letter is written or the book is written to the people of Nineveh. When we read in Jonah, the city, the city had a population of six score Thousand, so one hundred twenty thousand people, a hundred years prior. So we could guess that the population was probably bigger by now. And if we take in the wider country or the wider empire, that would have included a larger number of people again. At the time, Assyria was the dominant empire in the world, and it was noted for its cruelty. I've read this somewhere, and I don't know if this, is a, if this is right or not because I haven't checked it too much, but apparently the Assyrians invented crucifixion um, just as a mark of their cruelty. That's, uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. The most famous king um, at, in the Assyrian Empire was Sennacherib, and he is probably in between Jonah and Nahum in time frame, but uh, he was the most famous it's located mostly in modern-day Iraq. So again, just to give, give you a little bit of geographical context in modern-day uh, uh, politics and geography. But it's interesting as well because they are still finding artifacts from the Assyrian Empire and from Nineveh, referencing Nineveh. There was something on the BBC a few months back about some discovery they'd made in caves. Uh, somewhere uh, in in the area which related to these people so who the first who we see here is Nineveh the people the second comes in the second sentence the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite so the next thing we see here is Nahum so we understand who this is being written about. And now we are finding out who has written this book, and it is Nahum. And we know that he was a prophet. He was sent by God for this purpose, the burden of Nineveh. We read in Habakkuk, don't we, the verse one of Habakkuk chapter one, the next page, literally, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. So for Habakkuk to preach the word was a burden that he had to um, discharge. And the same with Nahum. He has a book and he has written and he is prophesying the destruction. So we know his name. We know where he's from. And we know his purpose. He was a prophet. The only other thing that we know about him really Um, is the meaning of his name. His name means either comfort or consolation. Now that is particularly relevant, so keep a note of that name in your uh, minds because it will be developed slightly later on. So there we see who the letter is written to, or about rather, it is written about the Ninevites or the Assyrians, it was written by Nahum. So the third character that we have revealed in this book is given to us at the start of verse two. God is a jealous is jealous and the Lord revenger So the third character we have in in this book is God himself. I've got a helpful quote here from Michael Bentley and he's speaking um, initially about the Assyrians and he's saying here about um, them and he says God raised up Nahum to tell the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas that he was going to deal with those who threatened them but strangely enough Nahum did not start his prophecy by describing the wickedness of the Ninevites nor did he begin by uh, referring to the unease of the people of Judah. His first recorded words were a description of God himself. So whereas I've started with Nineveh and then brought in Nahum and then introduced God, really. It's the other way around. God is the primary focus of this prophecy. So God is the primary character in uh, the prophecy of Nahum. So keep that as your overriding principle throughout this um, book and throughout every prophecy and throughout every book of scripture that we read. John Calvin divides theology into two parts. He says theology is a study of man as the first and primary part. And then the second part is man as he stands before God. So it's not a study of God and a study of man. It's a study of God and then a study of man as he stands before God. So it is God first and God second with how he interacts with man. And that should be how we should approach everything. It is about God first and then man as he stands before God. So we're reminded this book here is not about the prophet. He is a servant of God. This book is not about Nineveh. They are creatures before their creator. They are sinners, to quote um, a very famous sermon, in the hands of an angry God. So that gives us the who, who we are focusing on. And Nineveh, Nahum, and most importantly and primarily God. So what is the second question? What are we being taught here in this prophecy? Well, there are two uh, principles primarily um, to to take as as an overview. And taking our lead from Michael Bentley, we will start then with God. And the first thing we are taught is what is revealed of God and that is an exercise that we'll do, um, not, maybe not deliberately, but it will form part of the study through. Especially the first few verses of chapter 1. Because we have a lot of descriptions about God in chapter 1. We see that he is jealous. He, reven- he, is re- he has, will take revenge He is slow to anger. He is great in power. He is full of goodness and he is full of knowledge. That's just a very brief overview of the first seven verses and you can, without too much difficulty, find more. But that is a good overview of what is revealed very easily about God in the first few verses of Nahum. We see his holiness, don't we? He is a jealous God. He revengeth. If you see in verse 2, and we'll look at this in more detail next time, God willing, but how many times is revengeth and revenge used in those verses, or in verse 2 even? It's repeated and repeated and repeated. He is separate from sin, therefore he must punish sin. He is jealous of his holy law, so he punishes those who are opposed to his law we see the power of God don't we that is revealed and this was very similar when we were looking in um, uh, in Habakkuk chapter 3 when we were looking at the psalm of Habakkuk he goes into detail about the power and majesty of God and we see that here in reference to uh, the, the elements of creation. Mountains quake at him. The hills melt. The earth is burned at his presence. The world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? We see the power of God. We see the foretelling of the destruction of Nineveh. And history shows us that this foretelling was fulfilled, and we know it to be in around the year 612 BC. This happened. Nineveh was destroyed. He said it would happen, and it happened. It's like the act of creation, isn't it? And God said, and there was. God said, there will be destruction. And there was. The power of God. We see very much the mercy of God. And this is why we read um, a passage from um, Jonah earlier on. The, The best commentary on the scriptures is the scripture itself. So, what we learned and read in Jonah relates to the same group of people, or a hundred years or so later, but it's still the same people. And we saw how the mercy of God, he didn't punish the Ninevites. He threatened to punish them. He sent his prophet to preach unto them. And they repented. And he withheld His punishment from them. So we see understanding Nahum and understanding Nineveh and understanding Jonah, the mercy of God. We also see the grace of God, don't we? Because who was Jonah sent to? He was sent to Nineveh. How many other prophets were sent to warn other nations? Normally it was an act of God's people being the focus of God's attention. But here a prophet went to an alien nation. He preached, repent of your sins to this alien nation. And that nation repented in sackcloth and ashes. We see also the justice, don't we, and judgment of God. Because these people repented a hundred years or so ago. But here now we see their evil ways are back in. And God does not leave them and say, well, they repented as a nation a hundred years ago. I'll leave them now. He judges them. He re- they've returned to their ways. So he will punish them for their sinfulness. For this, it wasn't even backsliding, it was sinfulness. Because this is a new generation and they were sinning against God. So we can see in the what we are to learn from this is that God reveals himself to us and reveals his character. We see his holiness, his power, mercy, grace, justice and judgment. We see he's slow to anger. He is great in power. We could draw so many more, but we've drawn enough examples to understand the principle that God is revealed in Nahum. So the first and most important thing that we learn in Nahum, what are we to take from this? God is revealed. The second thing that we will learn in this book is that there is a judgment on Nineveh. We only read chapter 1 today, but if you read through chapters 2 and 3, you'll find that that judgment just keeps on pouring forth. We'll just look at three very brief verses to to help us understand that. Chapter 2, verse 13. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions. I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messengers shall no more be heard. Chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to that bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. We looked at the woes, didn't we, last time? in, In Not last time, but in Habakkuk, how there were repeated woes, and it was never, never a good thing when you hear the word woe. And it's repeated, or not quite, but uh, verse 5. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. So it's the Lord of hosts again here. And I will discover thy skirts upon my face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness, and the kingdoms thy shame. I am against thee, verse 5. Woe to that bloody city, verse 1. And... Verse thirteen of chapter two, Behold, I am against thee, says the Lord of hosts. And this is continues through the rest of the book, and he's just given more detail of repeated warnings and judgments. They were blessed in the past. They had the blessings of of God not punishing them for their sins and being blessed of God, but those blessings don't last forever. Israel has a history of this, doesn't it? If you read through um, the history of the nation of Israel, you see how they were blessed, and then they would fall away, and then, particularly in the times of the judges, they would be taken into some form of slavery or captivity and then the, they would repent and call on the Lord and he would raise judges to lift them out of their uh, desolation. It is their history. It's the history of the, the church right through the ages, really, isn't it? There are times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord and there are times of declension. And the Lord, judge, the Lord judges and the Lord acts. But The judgment was pronounced upon Nineveh they would be judged. I've got a helpful quote here from John Calvin, uh, which I'll share with you. And again, relating to their initial status as not being the children of God, but being uh, an alien nation. He starts his quote with these words, though indeed they were aliens, yet God was pleased to show them favor by teaching them through the ministry and labors of Jonah. And their repentance was not altogether feigned. Since then they were already endued with some knowledge of the true God. The less excusable was their cruelty when they sought to oppress the kingdom of Israel. They indeed knew that that nation was sacred to God. What they did then was in a manner an outrage against God himself. And that's very helpful, I thought. What they did was, in a manner, an outrage against God himself because they knew the one true God. They weren't an ignorant nation. They weren't ignorant of who the true God was. And yet, they still persecuted God's people. They still turned away from the one true God and worshipped false gods. And this judgment... Was called upon them. So there's the two main themes in the prophecy of Nahum. The revelation of God. And the judgment upon Nineveh. So then. To help us understand the who and the what. We have the why. Why are these things revealed to us. Well, firstly, the revelation of God is given and revealed to us so that we can learn who God is and better understand him. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. How can we glorify God and enjoy him forever? By knowing who he is. And we have a list of who God is or some of who God is in these verses. So every time we read even an obscure portion of scripture, something that we might be wrestling with to understand, what does this passage tell me about God? Why does it tell me this about God? So I can glorify him. The more I know him, the more I will praise him and the more I will glorify him. And this is where it's helpful to understand how all of the Bible fits together. Because if we just taken here and understood Nineveh from this uh, book, we wouldn't appreciate how they were blessed in times past. And what that shows us of God and what we've learned about God, how he deals with his people and he deals with other people. And how he calls whom he will to be his people if there was a hard nation like the Assyrians repenting in sackcloth and ashes we know that the Lord can work today in some of the hard nations around this world Um, we basically say about 95 if not more percent of the world's nations were hard to God nowadays wouldn't you the revelation of God is the first thing and we are to know why is he revealed to us so we can glorify him So we can learn more of him. So we can enjoy him forever. So we will enjoy God by reading Nahum. And that is the primary purpose of this book. The second thing we will learn. And why we have this uh, book. Is to remind us that enemies of God. Will be punished. Here. We have Nineveh. That enemy of God. Being punished. In the prophecy of Obadiah, which was one chapter long, we learned how Edom was going to be punished. And there's an interesting parallel there whereas Nineveh had times of blessing from the presence of the Lord and had fallen away over the century, Edom had deliberately. hindered God's people and had caused them trouble. One had had blessings from God, Nineveh, and had fallen away and was persecuting God's people when they should have known better. And Edom was deliberately persecuting God's people and hindering them. And God's judgment, these two prophecies in the, out of the 12 minor prophets, are directed not at God's people, but at God's enemies. God's enemies will be punished. Here, Nineveh, in Obadiah, we read of Edom. But this is the same, isn't it? And this is why it's here for us today. It is the same for all who do not trust in Jesus Christ. If you do not trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you are an enemy of God and you will be punished. We were touching on in the communion this morning, wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages of sin is death. Now, the wages of sin, what we have done to, what we have earned through our actions, as it were, sin. And we have earned death. All because of our actions. But the gift of God is eternal life. And that is the grace of God again, isn't it? And the mercy of God. Trust in Jesus Christ alone to take away your sins. Enemies of God will be punished. Why is this book written, thirdly? As an encouragement for God's children. Like the prophecy of Obadiah, this was not about Judah or Israel, but it was for Judah and for Israel. The punishment is upon Nineveh. But God's people would be blessed when they read that their persecutors were going to be destroyed. Their persecutors would be persecuted. Their persecutors would be taken away from them. It was to encourage God's children. I am in control, says God Almighty. Now we mentioned the name Nahum earlier on and it means either comfort or consolation. And this is where the comfort comes in. God is in control. Events might seem terrible. The world might seem like it's out of control. The world might seem like it's closing in on the Christian church. The world might seem like it's going to destroy uh, Christian principles and lives. God is in control. God is comfort. God is our consolation. God can destroy any nation when he sees fit. What a comfort, what an encouragement. And we learn that from the very name, Nahum. God is my comfort and God is in control. Why was this book written? Well, finally, this book was written as lessons for us today. We don't stay in the Old Testament 600 years BC. We move forward to the time of Christ. We move forward through all history Taking Nahum and Jonah again, we see this period of a hundred years or so. We see the repentance of the nation. And then we see the warning of destruction. It's a warning. The days of grace are numbered, they are set. There is a set time. They had a period of a hundred years or so from their repentance in sackcloth and ashes to their destruction. That time was set by God. We don't control the times. We don't know the times. God is in control. Noah preached repentance and built the ark. The days leading to the building of the ark were set. The people did not believe and did not enter the ark. And they were destroyed. Jesus is coming again. The days are set. We don't know when those days are. The time is set. The days of grace are numbered. If you hear God's voice, harden not your heart, because today is the day of salvation. Repent. Confess your sins. Ask Jesus Christ to be your saviour. God is in control. We've made this point in numerous times. But whatever happens in this world, whatever we think is happening, is out of control. God is in control. There's two, uh, interestingly, two books in the Bible that end on a question. One of those is Jonah and the other is Nahum. If we read from Jonah, uh, the final chapter of Jonah, where Jonah is um, still grumbling after the people have repented and he's sat under the gourd. I'll start reading. Uh, verse nine, because it's quite familiar. We don't need to read too much into this because we mostly know of it quite well. So the final chapter of Jonah, chapter four, verse nine. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou didst not labor, has hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, or so much cattle? So the question there that the Lord is asking Jonah is, should not I spare Nineveh? Should not I spare Nineveh is the question at the end of uh, Jonah And the question at the end of um, Nahum, we'll read the last verse, verse 19 of chapter 3. There is no healing of their bruises. Thy wound is grievous. All all that hear their, their brute of thee shall clap their hands over thee. For upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually? So here is the question that Nahum is asking that God has given him to ask of the Assyrians, of Nineveh. For upon whom has not thy wickedness passed continually? So contrast that with the question before. Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, upon whom has not thy wickedness passed continually? Can you mark the contrast? Here is a gracious God. Should not I spare and save Nineveh? And a century or so later, upon whom has not thy wickedness passed continually? Can you see how far these people as a nation had fallen? God was gracious to them and they repented, but their hearts were hardened, so he will punish them. God is constant. God is the same, so he was just in saving the nation or many within that nation who repented in sackcloth and ashes. And he is equally just to punish those who are wicked and do not repent. And this is the very essence of the gospel. Repent, confess your sins and God will save you. Jesus Christ alone can take away your sins. If you harden your heart and your wickedness is continually against the Lord, it doesn't have to be extreme wickedness. It's just turning away from God or not turning to God, and you will be punished. It's quite a stark message the downfall of a nation. But rather than think of it as a downfall of a nation, think of it as the individuals within that nation. It is the one person. At a time who will be punished for their sin. For rejecting God. But remember also we have the God. Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city? Should not I spare this individual or that individual? Should I not spare you? Says almighty God. Repent. Confess your sins. Ask Jesus Christ alone to take away your sins. And he will save you. For all eternity. The wages of sin is death. But. The gift. The gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. Amen.